what is the right answer? Is he right? And we just worked through that over time. And that at the time was horribly painful. Um, but, uh, Looking back, it was a really good experience. I just realized I haven't been recording for the last five minutes. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) We're off to a great start. Uh, So I've been talking with uh, Josh Anderson. He is the director of software engineering at Dude Solutions, and uh, he has agreed to talk to me today. I'm flying solo. I'm not with my co-host, Paul. He is taking a vacation. so it's just me. And uh, so Josh and I have been talking, and I realize I haven't been recording for the last few minutes. Uh, and the question that I was just talking to Josh about was he's done 80 episodes of the Metacast, which Paul and I have been enjoying listening to, trying to get to know Josh Anderson uh, and all of the topics that you and right. Bob talk about. And I asked, what were some of your favorite episodes? All right. So um, the one that comes to mind is the Waterfall Bob episode where Bob put on his waterfall hat as a project manager of 20 years and was grilling me on why Agile was stupid and why we shouldn't do this. And he caught me off guard a couple times just because it was Bob and I wasn't expecting those things to come out of his mouth. And there was a couple moments of dead silence where I was uh, unsure exactly how, how to retort to waterfall Bob. So at the moment, it was horribly painful. But looking back, that's when we had a lot of fun because, again, one of the things he and I try to do is pick topics where we're going to argue because we think that that adds a lot of value where we can pr- provide contrasting thoughts and try and give folks not just a single answer to things but give them something to think about. And that's one where he did a really good job of driving that. And, again, at the moment, it was horrible because I was caught off guard a couple times, but it was really a good good episode. you think it was good because maybe – you're hearing objections that are coming out of his mouth because he's heard those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Bob's been around the block a couple times and has heard those a bunch and has defended against those a bunch. So um, it was a little unfair, but but it was good and it was uh, challenging. Uh, so the Bob that we hear on the podcast, is he really like that? Is he always that positive? Is oh, he, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's like his natural course yeah yeah that's that's um that's what bob and i try try and do is just be us and that's why you hear a lot of laughing because um that's what we enjoy and and the podcast i've said it a couple times is really just an excuse for us to get together and poke fun at at each other and um i mentioned when we weren't recording so i'll mention it again (laughs) so i'll mention it again um that there's there, there is some recording that happens that i don't share that i actually have outtakes where it's all these cheap shots that bob and i take take each other and there's some that we've agreed that um we're not going to put out on the internet and there's even some pictures and videos of each other that we're not going to post out there because we're just uh being old friends what happens in the outtake reel stays in the outtake reel. exactly yeah we certainly have a lot of those um so i think i i'd mentioned uh before before i remember to hit record uh that we sort of have touched one like one degree of separation between right. us for a while, it seems yeah. like, which is not unusual if you work in a, in a town where there's lots of, of tech companies and there's lots of cross pollination between those companies. Right. Um, but, you know, I was always struck by your background really kind of stands out. So you played college ball. I did. At the uh, University of Cincinnati. That's correct. Bearcats. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and you're tight end. Yep. And you weren't a boring bench warmer. Like you were out there catching touchdown passes. I did catch a couple. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do remember because <laughs> I, I, I looked you up and sure enough, there is a game where you caught a game winning touchdown. Yeah, there is. You didn't find that newspaper article, did you? 
I could probably find it again. Oh, because it's got the single worst quote, probably in the history of humanity. Which one was it? Uh, it's this is so. A lot of my teams have found this. So folks I've worked worked with over the years have said, "Did this guy really play college football?" So they go and they look it up and they stumble on this article. There's a game where I caught a game game winning touchdown, you know, with like a minute left or whatever, and. They interviewed me after the game because that's what you do. Yep. Um, and I clearly had some recent head trauma because I talked about how the ball was up there for so long. Yes. And I saw three of them. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, that's just so embarrassing. Like, what? how did those words decide to come out of my mouth? Right? It was just, just like, and I look back and like, I'm trying to get that web page to just be buried or something because all, people always find it. And there's all these jokes of, well, he couldn't catch one ball, but he could catch three. You know, so there's, so it's, it's the worst. It just haunts me forever. Well, you should write additional articles about your career and put those up because that's the only one that I found on, uh, on, yeah. the, on the Google search. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's embarrassing, but it, but it happened. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, I, I think you're the only guy that I know that has played, uh, f football at the college level and went on to have a career mm -hmm. doing software. Yeah. So like I talked to a lot of guys who, yeah, I did it in high school, uh, or they played baseball, or you know they they were in the chess club, but college ball. That, mm -hmm. So you have a very unusual background. Do you think that that shaped uh, your career from the start? Yeah. So Bob and I actually did, just did an episode not too long ago about football and agile and how they paralleled, and a lot of the things that groomed me along the way of playing football, but especially college football, because it, it's a whole different level where it's a retrospective every minute and every day. So our practices were recorded. You normally think, hey, they watch the tape of the games. Yeah. We actually watch the tape of the practice the day before. So every step, every move along the way was critiqued and corrected. And I got very comfortable with being told what was right and what was wrong. So I, people can't hurt my feelings when they're saying, hey, maybe you should try this. And folks are like, well, you know, don't, don't get upset. Trust me, you're not going to get upset because – I'm used to having coaches throw chairs at me and silly stuff when something goes wrong, right? Um, so, so I'm not going to get upset. So I'm I'm very comfortable with the parts of Agile that drive you towards taking a hard look at yourself and saying, "How do you fix this problem?" Yeah, you're doing good, but what can you do better? Because that's what every week was. So, in the podcast, we talked about how um, every week within the season was a sprint, and the practices were every day within the sprint and the sprint review was the game because you have to stand up there in front of everybody and say hey this is what we did yeah and depending on how you did throughout the week and those days defined how well you did on saturday night and whether you won or lost and then whether you won or lost it doesn't matter you have to get back in the saddle and do it again which is the same thing with sprints right so you got to do it again and you can't get hung up on what happened last sprint you you have to learn from it but you can't say oh man we screwed that up and just go in the tank right you've got to pick yourself up Look at what you did wrong, figure out what you're going to do better, and then go out and make it happen. So did you have teammates uh, that um, maybe weren't as open to criticism? Oh, yeah. And so like you're, it sounds like you're the kind of guy that you know, you're going to learn from criticism because it's going to make you better. It's right. going to give you victory on Saturday. Yeah. Um, so how would you deal with teammates that were kind of like, you know, take it the wrong way or wouldn't absorb those lessons uh, and were kind of like, starting to detract more from the team. Well, what so they kind of fell to the wayside because they chose not to hear that retrospective and to hear the advice and to make the adjustments. And it was a dog-eat-dog -dog world. 
that if you didn't get better, somebody else was. You know, that, that's, that's, that's one lesson that I took from that was every day you have to get better. Because if you stay the same, you have to assume your competition is getting better. So you're actually getting worse because everybody else is getting better and you're staying the same. So you're getting lapped. So it's something that if you wanted to letter for four years and start for three years like I did, and I actually played in front of guys that got drafted. Yeah. You know, but it was just because every day I got a little bit better and I was comfortable with hearing that and working on it and getting better. But the guys that ended up never playing or transferring or doing whatever was because they couldn't handle that. And the coaches are world-class, right? Those are world-class coaches that they actually want you to get better. They do. It might not feel like it at times, but that's their job. And they're going to tell you the truth whether you like it or not. And you've got to listen and make make those adjustments. And if you don't, somebody else is going to listen to those coaches and get better, and you're not going to get better. So, yeah, there were folks that didn't listen um, and didn't like it or didn't like it and didn't listen. But in the end, they ended up not getting the playing time because they didn't adjust and grow. Yeah. So at the Dude, yeah, yeah we were kind of going through the, the developer space. And so you have different uh, different squads, different mm-hmm. teams. Right. Uh, are those teams uh, cross-functional? Yeah. Okay. So it's not like a team of developers only, a team of testers only. Yeah, I hate silos and walls and all that stuff. We even go into the Spotify model and method because I'm deathly afraid of the architect ivory tower and architects that sit over here and define approaches and things like that and then hand it off to squads to go and deliver. So we infuse that across all of our teams. And you said that's the Spotify approach? Yeah, Spotify. For folks that may not know what's like me what's the spotify approach <laughs> um so the, the there's a whole thing that they go into there's videos and they're very helpful and they publish it and actually if you go on our blog you can read about it but the thing that i use um the the, the primary reason that i adopted the spotify model was because something that drives me crazy is the is the waste around the word team when you say oh well my my team is working on this and when you're in a software organization that can mean a million different things. It's the software engineering team. It's the QA team. It's the database team. It's your agile team. It's your project team. Which team do you mean? So what I liked is they had a clear definition of the, the agile team is called a squad. And then the cross-cutting, cross-functional things of all of the back-end developers. That's called a chapter. And then the collection of all the squads together is called a tribe. And then there's... There's a, there, there's a collection of like-minded people that talk about things together that's called a guild. So the thing that I liked was it removed some of the waste around names. And then a nice side effect is that their approach to chapters reduces the architecture ivory tower that's out there. And it infuses that within the squads and brings a commonality across all of those squads, which is something that I value very greatly because I'm a very team-focused person. So I, what struck me about that was that you decided to change the language mm-hmm. and that that, and so you noticed and then had the, the follow on effect of actually changing the behaviors, the culture of yeah. the whole organization. Right. So squads, chapters, chapters yeah. tribes, tribes and guilds, guilds. Yeah. it's like the world's most profitable RPG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Uh, and so that's kind of talking about how the folks are organized. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the work is organized? How does how does work flow from, you know, the front all the way until release at, at the dude? 
Sure. Um, so we're actually working on something um, called the Agile Donut. <laughs> that uh, sounds delicious. Yeah, it, we eat way too many donuts here, <laughs> so it's a it's a problem. That and really, what the Agile Donut is 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 um, it's a definition of how we do do work. So it it takes basic Scrum. So Scrum is who we are. That's the core of the dude and how we operate here. So we have fully cross-functional teams. Um, we have traditional backlogs. We have the traditional ceremonies, everything that goes into that with um, uh, stand-ups and retrospectives and planning and refinement. Um, and then what, what we've worked really hard on is using Spotify to sp spread that in a common way across all the squads so that we do that consistently. And then the, the other challenge is scaling that up. So, so bringing uh, the Scrum methodologies and approach and taking it beyond the backlog that's just for that squad. Because one thing that's going to determine the success is how well fed the backlog is for each squad. So to do that, you have to have your product roadmap in really good shape. And to have your product roadmap um, in shape when you have multiple products, that's when you got to talk about portfolio roadmap and everything that goes along with that, and then strategy. So what, what we've done is we've taken the ceremonies around a backlog for a scrum team and rolled that up at each level. So for the release planning, we talked about um, over in our space, what's called the PSI board. So we stole that from, from safe. Um, and every two sprints, we gather the whole tribe together. So that's all of our squads. And we reforecast out the next six sprints of work. So, so that gives us a rolling six sprint view of what we're going to build. We have milestones on there. Of we expect after sprint number seven, we're going to ship. And after sprint number nine, we're going to ship again, whatever that may be. Um, and then feeding into that, so that's a six sprint view. Feeding into that, we then have a larger roadmap view that's by quarters for the next 12 to 18 months, that that's actually on a, on a set of windows where every window pane is a quarter, and we have stickies that represent the large epochs of work that we're going to do. Yeah. I wanted to also ask about, like, it, looking at the, the actual physical layout of the space and looking at the continuous build uh, status boards. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think if you went back to a development shop, I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you're not going to see that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, now, nowadays, it's more or less accepted that, you know, you'd be insane to try to do any kind of meaningful software development uh, in a business setting without having those those feedback mechanisms in right. place, right? Um, so I could recall a time where continuous delivery was kind of a very far-fetched and crazy talk kind of thing. Uh, so how do you guys do that at The Dude? Is, it, is there a continuous delivery model or is it more of a, like a traditional release model where it's you know more periodic? Right. Um, so we, we do have full CI and CD. So the continuous integration to me is a um, non-negotiable for, for Agile to be done well. It's like you mentioned with the feedback loops. We try and get the feedback loop for everything as short as possible. So we've done a lot of refactoring around our code base to keep the feedback on any change to within 15 minutes. So we've done a lot of work there to make sure that we know whether it's good or bad. We've parallelized tests and done all kinds of crazy stuff to make that happen. Um, we've launched into a lot of discussions around microservices and lots of fun things around that, but that's that's where we're going to evolve to. Um, we do have C CD, so continuous 
delivery in place. The one thing that's different about the way we approach it here versus where I've been in the past is we have a separate tool that handles that. So where I've been, the build tool, you have some sort of build set up that does the deploys and all of that. Yeah. But we use Octopus, and that's a tool built specifically for deploying apps. And it does a tremendous job, and it's got some really nice tools in enabling you to promote to all of your environments, and it's got gates that if the build's red, it's not going to let you push that. It's got everything that goes into place, and it does a tremendous job of doing that. And the perfect example is that when we released version 1.0 last June 26th, we have a touchscreen board over in our space, and our CEO came over, and with his eyes closed and his hand behind his back, he touched the board, and he launched the product. Um, so that's how simple it is for us. It took a lot of time to make that happen, but um, we we are we are in a very healthy place with that. Is is the octopus is that a off the shelf software? Or is this something that you built? No, it's a product that we okay. pay for, and they're a very responsive group, and 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 uh, they they built a really good product. APIs are super nice, um, so there's a lot that you can do with that. And perhaps the most important question I can ask you this evening. Paul, this one's for you. Staging servers, do you have them? Or are you going to remove them? <laughs> this is <laughs> this is something that came up uh, a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, there was a tweet about uh, an article where they said, uh, you know, get rid of your staging servers because they're an unnecessary ar- artifact of waterfall development. Right. And um, Paul disagreed strongly. And we talked about it, right. but so, I mean, is it, is it a thing of the dude? It is a thing of the dude. And, uh, most specifically because that's the first environment we have that most closely replicates the production hardware. So all of our development servers and everything are in AWS. So they're a little bit smaller than normal. We package things a little bit differently. We put more things on single boxes and by, you know, boxes and air quotes, right? It's not a yeah. physical box. So we slam more, more things into there. So the staging environment is actually on physical hardware, just like in production. It more closely um, mimics what's in production. So that's where we can run a real performance test and get consistent results because who knows how many people are streaming on Netflix that are chewing up bandwidth at Amazon and stuff like that. So we've had pretty inconsistent results along with there's also some rules with Amazon about when you can do performance and security testing and all kinds of things like that because they don't want everybody doing that because you're on shared hardware. So we can't hit that as much as we'd like. So the staging server is our last check of um, let's double check, make sure performance is good before we go into production because the development environments don't mimic exactly what's in production. So we can't get an apples to apples comparison. Do I like it? No, but it's the best we can do right now. Yeah. So I think the, the argument in the article that, that caused a little dust up for us was uh, the notion that, you know, there were technical measures you could take to eliminate the need for staging server. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, can you can you do it without a staging server? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could do a lot of things. Uh, but it just seemed to me, and I'm not saying this makes me right, but I, to me, it just brings up a lot of fear. Like, right. yeah, I can, we can use feature flags, and um, uh, yeah, we could do a lot to mask the changes, the intentional changes, right? And yeah. but to me, it always comes back to, well, what is the unseen, the unintended consequences of a co-change? Right. Like, it's almost impossible to verify that a change you make in code 
doesn't have some other unseen effect, right? Unless yeah. you basically, the, the only thing you can tell that haven't changed are the, the ones that you've explicitly covered in a test. But that's not, you know, you, you can't cover every scenario. You really are just gambling that you're hitting, you right. know, the, the most obvious test cases. I mean, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, the the other thing for for us is staging has production level data, and by production level data, I mean we have ten thousand customers, and those ten thousand customers, some have been with us for fifteen years. So there's a lot of data, a lot of unique data that's out there that um, we we aren't pushing into all the development and test environments because just the the, the overhead and that is not worth it. So that's another one of those last gasp efforts that are there any weird data scenarios that are out there that are in our seed data that um, we need to just do one last check against yeah I, I think we're kind of in agreement yeah. and uh, you know again if you're listening to this and you just threw a coffee cup across the room <laughs> or knocked over a table out of frustration and anger uh, hey you know contact me on Twitter that's uh, at uh, JD Jeffers uh, uh, or reach out to us at the reflection as a service Twitter account Drop us a line, let us know, and if you have a contrary opinion, we'd be happy to talk to you on the podcast too. If if we're wrong and uh, we could use uh, an explanation or a counter argument, even if we disagree, I think it'd be a great conversation. Um, so I wanted to to get back to Dude Solutions mm-hmm. specifically, and I'm always kind of interested in the, the people side right. more than just about anything else. Uh, I think that just comes with the age. I think when you first start with computers, it's all about the technology. Right. Like, I think I see a lot of young people, they get involved with uh, software engineering uh, DevOps, and it's all almost like a fetish for technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but so to, to get someone in the door at Dude Solutions, um, like, how does that start? How do you go about vetting someone sure. without seeing them? Yeah. And then so you can kind of get them in the door and, and sort of spend more money on trying to know, is this going to be a great investment as a, you know, as an employee? Yeah, I, I've, I've had the fortunate and unfortunate um, history of hiring hundred, hundreds of developers, which means I've ever interviewed probably thousands. Um, so I've had a chance to refine that. The, the one thing that we use here as, as a reminder of who we are is we have a Venn diagram of people that are... That, that, that look like what we hire. So um, the first circle is they're smart. That's kind of like, yeah, duh, you have to be smart to write code. Um, but uh, what, what that really means is that is that you're able to learn fast. And we do a lot of work to try and determine how quickly can you learn and how quickly can you pick up things. Because at every job I've been at, the technology we use on day one is usually pretty different from the technology that we're using on day 725 because just the world changes and yep. technology changes and there's a new idea and there's something new you want to do. So really ensuring that folks are comfortable with learning new stuff and learning it quickly and can pick it up without a lot of, of help and care and feeding. So that's the first circle. Um, the, the, the second circle is being a great teammate um, because we are an agile shop. Uh, just, just, just doing that well and working together is super important with how we operate. So we have a lot of things that we go into um, in, in in doing that. And a large part of that, and one of my favorite parts of the process, is being able to receive the feedback, like we talked about with the football thing. Of can you receive a contrary opinion and handle it well? So we ask folks to get up on the board and diagram out an architecture for building an online guitar shop or whatever they want to build, whatever they're. They're, they're passionate about 
And one of the best tricks is when we know they're right, we actually tell them that we think they're wrong. And we want to see how they handle that. Do they take the time and think it through and say, well, no, actually, I think I'm right and here's why. Because we're looking for folks that really know what they're talking about. And whatever topic it is, we don't care what it is, but we want to see if they have the real depth of knowledge in that area. And then they are willing to push back on somebody and say, well, I think this is the right answer and here's why. And like, okay, yeah, you're right. But the key is that they were confident in themselves and they could push back and they could have that 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 dialogue because the dialogue is really what's going to build successful teams and building a diverse team. That's something I'm very focused on is having a, a very diverse group. And that's not um, gender or race or anything like that, but, it, but it's experiences and technologies. And we hired a Ruby developer to a .NET shop. Not many people would do that. Um, but that person's pretty awesome. Um, but we were able to figure that out because we didn't care about the, 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 the technology, but we were able to figure out, does that person fit in the Venn diagram that we have? Are they smart? And are they a great teammate? And lastly, do they get shit done? Right? Because it's you can be super smart, be a great teammate, but if you never actually ship software, it doesn't matter. You're not going to have a job for very long. Right. Um, so that's those are the three things that we look for, and, and that's the constant reminder about, who we are and the people we want to hire. Yeah. And I think that that knocks out another question that um, I was thinking about is, do you hire based on your current knowledge and skill set, or do you hire for the potential? And it sounds like you're landing pretty solidly on the potential side, which it's pretty refreshing. Mm -hmm. Because I think you look at, uh, especially, I mean, if you're a developer these days and you have an email account, you're going to get spammed by recruiters (laughs) constantly. And the only thing you see in the recruiter email is I'm looking for somebody with five to six years of experience in technology X must be strong in X must be, you know, and it's like a, it's just a series of things that you are. And I keep thinking, no, no, no. If you really want to grab the interest of a developer, you have to appeal to what they want to become, where they want to go. Uh, But it's frustrating because you're like, well, you know, a lot of people in the technology space talk about, you know, the language doesn't matter. It really matters the, the the person and the things they bring to the table as a developer, right. uh, but at the same time, all the job listings are very specific for technology. So that's mostly for recruiters, um, right? Because they need a checklist because they aren't able to sit down and talk to a developer like you or I would and yep. determine do they really know what they're talking about. So that's like if you read the job descriptions that we have, we we explicitly say we don't hire with a checklist, and. And I keep working with our managers and directors to make sure that we don't ever put a checklist item that's on there uh, because I want to say that that's not who we are and that's not how we hire. But that but that makes it harder on non-technical people doing the hiring. So yeah. that first pass of trying to trying to weed through the people with an email, right, because you never know if that person with an email is really good or not. Yeah. Um, so it can be kind of hard if you don't have the knowledge and experience to weed through that without the checklist. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if, if someone came to me and said, James, we need to hire 10 salespeople, I wouldn't do the first thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, what do they need to know? Yeah, that's oh. for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's it would be really hard. And that's why, I mean, I think there's a couple of recruiters I've met that are actually pretty good at their job. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a few and far between. Um, yep. But um, so at the dude, I, it looks like there's a great emphasis on on the culture around people working together. Is that necessarily face to face? Do you support remote work at the dude? Uh, we do, but not preferred, you know, because we are an idle shop and communication is best face to face. We we really do ask people to be here for 
all the ceremonies and the work together because it's it's just better. There's a reason we built the space like it is. There's a reason we have people sitting close to each other. There's a reason we're running in Agile because we believe in the power of the teams working together. And the team working together is going to work best together when they're face-to-face. Does that mean that we're going to get upset if somebody needs to work from home in the morning? No, but we don't want that to become the norm because then the productivity of the team is reduced. And it's only reduced um, because there is tremendous benefit to being here. Um, but if we were to be remote 100% of the time, I'm sure we'd find a way to work work like that. But um, I'm a big believer in face-to-face is better. So as much time as we get to spend together, the better off we're going to be. Yeah. Um, if you're, I mean, some people make the argument that if, well, you know, we're, we love our remote employees. We're mostly a remote shop. Um, I think the folks that do... Um, Basecamp, 37 Signals. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very open about the fact that they're primarily remote and they claim as one of their bigger benefits is that they can pretty much hire someone from around the world. They're not yeah. constrained to a geographic, uh, the geographic constraint is kind of removed. So, but I mean, that may not be an issue if you're if you're looking into the pool of available candidates and you're always finding people that, that you feel are, are going to be good hires and you're like, well, it doesn't, you know, we're not, we're not finding a dearth of, of folks. Right. I mean, is that the situation for dude? Are you finding the people that you need here or yeah. are you having to reach further and further afield and then try to get people to relocate to the area? No, we've had tremendous luck hiring here in the triangle. And I've had that argument with myself about, can I really build a world-class team with a 50 mile search radius or would it be better to search the entire globe? to build the best team in the world. Um, But I think you have to start with that culture from the start. So another company that I really like is Buffer. So Buffer works in that same same way where everybody is, well, not everybody, most people are are remote. But if you listen to the founders talk, one thing that they work very hard on is making sure that there's no advantage to being in the office, that being remote is the same as being local. So that's something they work very hard on to ensure it's an even playing field. Unfortunately, that's not true here for us, the dude. It is better to be here in the office. Um, but as far as searching and finding talent, we, we, we are in a tremendous area with all the schools and the population that we have here. There's a lot of good tech companies. There's a lot of people that move here because of the tech companies. I'm one of them. Me too. Um, Me yeah, too. So, so it's, it's, um, it's a really good area. I think if we were somewhere different, we'd have a little bit harder time, but, but, but we haven't had a whole lot of trouble. Yeah. Um. It, if a person starts and works many years at the dude, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure you have a chart of, not a chart, but there's an, uh, maybe an understanding of advancement, mm-hmm. both in terms of like personal and interpersonal skills. You're an okay developer, then you get really, really good at, at, at the .NET stack, mm-hmm. like technically proficient and then technically an expert. Uh, and then you get really good at helping other people get really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also how well does the person understand the business? And so mm-hmm. there's like lots of different dimensions for how you might say this right. employee is worth a lot more as time goes on. So what's, what is the advancement ladder? Um, is there a hierarchy? Is it flat? Is it more structured? Yeah. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to get at is personal story time. Uh, just imagine that kind of wavy uh, dissolve, <laughs> like I'm going into dreamland. Um, so I used to work a long, long time ago. Uh, I worked part-time at a pharmaceutical pharmaceutical company in Florida, and uh, they had a really kind of unusual arrangement for uh, the, the scientists that worked there. They had a technical track, and they had a management track. So mm-hmm. at some point in your career, you would kind of decide if you wanted to go into to management of the scientists, mm-hmm. or if you wanted to go into a more technical track, 
you weren't necessarily given more responsibilities as a as an organizer of the people, but you were certainly given more responsibility in terms of choosing the 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 scientific and technical direction of you know the organizations you right. worked in. I just do how how do you guys structure it? I guess what I'm trying to get. Yeah, to. we're we're um we're evolving that. So the software engineering team here in Cary were less than a year and a half old. So we've taken an MVP approach to everything that we do, including the organization. When we had seven people, we didn't need to have this whole thing built out. But now that we're 35 and someday, not too distant future, we'll be 70, we kind of scratch our head like, okay, we need to really define career paths for people because people have been here for six months, a year, and they're wondering what's next. So that's something that we've been evolving over the past um, seven or eight months just as we, we, we hit that like, okay, it's time to... It's time to grow up and move into that realm because we're there now. Um, so one thing that we do is we break it into three similar tracks. So uh, something that I brought with me when I started here is to build a great software team, you have to build three three things and build them world, world class and do it in this order. You have to have great people, have a great process, and have a great product. And usually if you do the first two of those, build great people and a great process, your product's just going to take care of itself. So we have those three tracks within our folks. So um, the way it works is you come in as a software engineer one, then you can go to two. And then after you're a software engineer two, we feel like you have the chops, kind of like you talked about, the technical skill, the understanding of the business to make a choice of do I want to go down the people path, which is the management path, uh, do I want to go down the process path, which is our Scrum Master Agile Coach type path? And the third is the product path. So developer, quality engineer, whatever you want to go, architect, stuff like that. So there's so there's a breaking point after two to be where you can define the path which way you want to go. That can be kind of scary. So another thing I stole from Spotify is they have this concept of add-ons. So we're working through building out an add-on pro program where I can try those things out because going from developer to manager if you're going to be a manager that means you leave code behind yeah and to do it well you don't write code anymore and I made that transition really early and I kind of regret it because I miss coding and I wasn't ready to stop coding so I tried to hold on to coding and do both which made me horrible at both Um, so I learned the lesson of to be a great manager you have to leave the coding behind so that can be scary for a developer. So, so we're building out these, these add-ons where I want the leadership add-on. So I'm going to start to manage people a little bit, have people report to me, have to go through reviews, have to go through all that, start to leave it behind and test it out for six months to a year, and then be able to make the choice of, okay, I really want to go with this path or holy cow, that's horrible. I never want to do it again. And you go off in whatever direction you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. I've had uh, a similar experience. Um, working for Microsoft, having to make the transition from team member to team lead. Yeah. And uh, it was a jarring experience and uh, kind of unsatisfying because I never really knew, like, as a developer, I kind of knew how to do, be really good at that. Mm-hmm. But you move into that new role and you're like, I don't know how to judge if I'm doing a good job. Right. And you don't. And the way they do it at Microsoft, you may not know until the year's up. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that can be. That could yeah. be pretty scary. Yeah. Um, it's kind of nice that you give people a chance to kind of dip their toes into that and figure out, yeah. is this really where I want to go? Yeah. Now, I I would prefer us to be completely flat. Um, but the um, challenge we have with that is the outside world. 
the outside world wants senior engineers and architects and senior architects and managers and senior managers and directors and senior directors and all that stuff. So I want to be aware of and support all of our members within our team and knowing that they're going to go on at some point. They're not going to work here forever. So I want them to be able to look back and see that that helped my career progress in the direction that I wanted to go. So having those titles, while I don't like the titles at all, I don't like them internally, but I understand they're very important for the external world, for people to be able to show the growth so that way when they go on to the next job, they can go to whatever role that they want. But again, the focus that I have is trying to build out a career path so that way we don't eject good people because we don't have a role for them. We're not going to make up a role for them, but we, but, but we want to try and have the paths that are out there to support the growth of our really good people. Yeah. So uh, the other thing I noticed about dude, I mean, it's not just the, the dude, but um, it is something I noticed you've, you've, you've um, hosted on a semi-regular some basis, but you've had tech days. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about what the tech days at uh, at the Dude of Life? Well, so we're doing our first Dude Tech Day. We've hosted a million meetups and everything we can. Our, our, our first meetup is February 20th. I thought you had one in January. No, we did not, unless there was one and I wasn't here, which is possible. Well, I'm going to go with what you said because... <laughs> <laughs> You work here, so yeah. <laughs> I'm going to trust your word over my notes. Yeah, so so um, we've been publicizing the tech day, and we had a press release about it that day. So we actually had one of our board, board members say, hey, how was the tech day? And my CTO was like, we haven't had the tech day yet. I think you just read the press release and assumed we had it. Well, well what's... What is tech day? Yeah, what's going on with it? Yeah, so we, we, um, we politely borrowed from Agile. And not from Agile, from Red Hat's Agile Day. Okay. So here in um, Raleigh, Red Hat's pretty big, and they have an Agile Day where they... I, I hear they have a building. Yeah, they have a building, yeah. Um, and, and they have... Uh, it's a mini conference, and um, we, we we toyed around, you know, doing something like that. Well, we're the dude, you know, we're not that big. And, and our architect said, uh, why don't we treat it like a retrospective? That we've been building something from nothing to something however big it is and it's a year later so let's take a retrospective and share it with the community so that's what we're going to do we're going to open the doors on a saturday there's going to be donuts because we like donuts there's going to be pizza because we like pizza and there's going to be beer because we like beer so i'm hearing this is not going to be paleo friendly uh we are going to try and have (laughs) some other some other food for for uh folks that aren't into all the carbs um so it's going to be a carb heavy day uh, we apologize for that, but that's that's kind of what fuels us here. Um, so we are going to talk from, uh, so we have the three tracks. So we have the, the, the people track, the process track, and the product track that we're going to cover everything across the spectrum. There's going to be two talks in each of those tracks that talk about the process and the Agile Donut. We'll really dig into that to APIs, to Angular, to our architecture, to um we have one where where it's where you can teach an old dog new new tricks. So somebody that's come in and hasn't done agile before and does waterfall and how do you get up to speed on that if you haven't done it? You know, you've been in the industry for more than five years. You've you've built up some habits. So how do you work 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 through that? So um, we're gonna just open up the doors and share. I, I like it. I think it sounds like a great idea. I wish well, more come on out. I, I 
yeah, I think Paul and I might, might do that. I wish more companies would do that. I think it, it would also help people that are thinking about um, making a, a movement in their career. Yeah. It would help them figure out, is this a place that I want to work at? And I think if they came in and saw a retrospective like this and be like, wow, I, I think it'd be really kind of interesting to work at a company that does that does this. Right. Um, I think the last question uh, that I wanted to ask was, uh, you have a magic wand. Mm-hmm. You wave this magic wand, you get whatever you want, right? Mm-hmm. At the dude or in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. What do you get? What do you wish for? What do you want to make happen? Um, the biggest challenge we have in front of us is um, we are a company that's 15 years old, tremendous success, um, but this agile thing is new to us. And um, if I could have my magic wand. What I would have transformed would be that we are an agile company. We aren't there yet. And there's a lot of work to do across the entire organization to um, allow us to become a truly agile technology company. We aren't there yet. We've taken our first steps. We're going in the right direction. We have a lot to learn. So what do I mean by that um, is that every two weeks we're in a ship grade software. Um, but we but we have to get in sync with CSC and marketing and sales and make sure we're in the same cadence and they're a part of our PSI planning and they understand what's coming and and products just launch in unison and everything silky smooth and it becomes this beautiful engine that we build software and it launches and people sell it and it's marketed well and it's supported well and everybody's on the same page. So that's ultimately what I want. That's That would probably take like five magic wands. Um, but that's that's what I aspire for us to be. And we've taken little teeny tiny baby steps t- towards that. And, and, and the challenge is that we're growing at a crazy pace. So trying to support that growth while also supporting this massive change that we have to go through is going to be challenging. Yeah, the company you work at that's 20 people that goes to 70, that goes to 150, they're not the same companies. Right. And... Um... Yeah, it's it's hard to try to to hold on to that the thing that makes it special when it's right. just that small embattled group of you know right. rough and tumble. Everyone's in the same raft, and then you start moving into the the bigger company, and you're like, right. "Wow, this place is so different." But it, that doesn't mean bad, right? Right? It could be ten times better. Yeah. Uh, were there any questions that I didn't ask that you were hoping I would ask? Oh my goodness! Um, why in the world did he give that horrible three ball quote twenty years ago? <laughs> It wasn't that bad. When I read it, I thought that was like a, um, I don't know, like you were complimenting the quarterback. No, on the hang it, time. Was, it, it was further proof that CTE is in my near future and it was post-concussion. Do you think so? <laughs> well, y- yes, I think it is. But um, uh, just, I don't know what I was saying. So, Well, you're, I mean, you're a tight end, right? So you're you blocking and getting blocked and yeah. slamming into other big dudes, right? Yeah, yeah. So my so my boys, I'm not too keen on them playing football. What happens if if your oldest comes to you and says, "Dad, I want to play football," and he wants to go out and play, and he's only like say seventh grade, and he's like, a, and you know, if he starts playing, he could probably play through high school. Would you be okay with that, or you'd be like, "No, let's try soccer." So my wife and I have had a lot of discussions about that because I I know I had three concussions that I know of. Yeah. Um, however many along the way that I didn't know were, were concussions, I don't know. There were a dozen, a lot more than a dozen times where, where I had my bell rung. And that's, you know, you're not seeing straight, but you, you go back into the next play and you, 
make it happen. So my uh, wife and I have talked about that. Our oldest son has no interest in playing tackle football, and we are A-OK with that. Our youngest son is the crazy one, and we expect him to be the linebacker. Um, so we're going to try and hold him off as long as we can. Um, but the one thing that we have said is that when either one of them want to do that, then I'm going to have to coach because that's the only way that I'll feel safe that they'll be taught the right way. Um, like the, right, the right way to tackle. Yeah, the right way to tackle it, and also having seen the symptoms and been out there and understanding yeah. what a concussion looks like and what a concussion feels like, um, that I'll be kind of safeguarding them a little bit in case something. Like the other night, my son was playing basketball, and he, he dove for a ball and ended up hitting his head on the floor, and you heard that big, loud smack. Yeah. And I, I got instantly nervous and like after the game, like, how's your head and how you doing? And I asked a bazillion questions because I was just horribly paranoid um, because I do understand what that can do. And as everybody knows these days, that's a very hot topic and it's pretty understandable. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're, you're going to look out for him. I'm going to try. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been great. Um, I think... I think those, I'm all out of questions. Okay. I don't have any more questions. Oh, all the questions have been answered. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, go for it. So um, as a fellow podcaster, why did you start to podcast? Uh, I think it's because I every day I would listen to other podcasts and I would be either nodding my head mm-hmm. or I'd be like, oh, that person's so wrong. Right. Or, or I'd be, I would, why don't they ask this? Why don't they ask that? And I just felt like I had stuff I wanted to talk about. Right. Uh, and so my, my buddy, Paul... Uh, we've worked together, you know, we've, we talk to each other on the phone all the time about entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and testing and, you know, stuff that's happened to us in the past, things that we want to happen to us in the future. And I thought, you know, I bet you I'm not the only person and Paul's not the only person that would want to benefit from having these discussions or right. hearing them or learning from other folks. Right. So I said, why don't we just start recording some of these conversations? And then we thought, well, you know, there's probably a lot of people out there that are really interesting to talk to, mm-hmm. have a lot of experience. We should we should get them on and talk to them. Yeah. yeah. So I think um, we've done more episodes where we haven't interviewed other folks. So we're trying to find the right balance between grabbing a subject matter expert right. or, or somebody uh, who's running a large organization and talking to them and also chewing on topics that we're just, you know, we just find interesting and right. we kind of hope that other people out there are also finding interesting. Um. I'm also kind of fascinated by the, the concept that uh, I'm going to have strong opinions about stuff and that other people may disagree yeah. with those opinions. Yeah. And I think some people kind of get a little freaked out, like, oh, we don't want to rock the boat. But I'm kind of like, well, if you're not – if you're not really poking someone else in a sensitive place, you know, I, I don't think you're doing your job. Yeah. If you're saying the same thing everybody else is saying, why would people listen to you? Right. Right. You know? So um, having a different – Opinion, just like Agile Bob, right? We talked about Agile Bob and, <laughs> and the challenge that was Agile Bob because he was a he was a crotchety old guy that day. Um, but that differing opinion really forced me to think through things, and that's been received very well by by our listeners. You mean Waterfall Bob? Yeah, Waterfall Bob. Waterfall See, Bob. See, I'm glad you're here to correct me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was just taking on the role of I'm a crusty waterfall guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Uh, like the you guys had a two parter on Agile estimates. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty good. Like I said, I like the origins mm-hmm. story. Um, I listened to some of the earlier ones about agile testing. Right. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of good stuff, and I'm not even done with. I would say even a quarter of the episodes. Oh, I just kind of okay. picked out the ones that I thought were yeah. the juiciest. 
Uh, so I still I've got it on my subscribe list, so I'm going to slowly digest the rest of them. Yeah. So our goal is to have a new episode every two weeks. That's ambitious. Yeah. So we've we're we built up a decent backlog, and we're okay. staying pretty consistent. Bob's not traveling too much. It gets to be a challenge when Bob's traveling and I'm traveling and all that fun stuff happens. Um, but the goal is to have one queued up every two weeks. We'd like to do it once every week, but that's not realistic for us right now. Yeah, that would be like a <laughs> – it's once a week, but it's, as far as putting it together a podcast, it's like uh, – that's insane. Yeah. Unless you're like – consider someone like um, – oh, gosh. What's the guy's name? He does the Mixergy interviews. Andrew Warner? I don't know. I think that's his name. I'm going to kick myself for not knowing it. So this guy just does interviews with up-and-coming entrepreneurs. Uh-huh. And home of the ambitious upstart is the kind of a slogan. Okay. But he does an interview every single day. Wow. Which means every day he's recording five or six. Right. It's, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's his whole gig, right? Yeah. Um, but um, if folks want to get in touch with you, mm-hmm. how would they do that? So best bet is our website. Metacast. Um, somebody owns Metacast.com, so we actually own Meta-Cast. Right. Um, on Twitter, we are Meta-Cast, all spelled out, so hyphen the word hyphen. Um, you can find us there. Our podcast is on iTunes and uh, mostly on SoundCloud. We're deciding if we want to go into SoundCloud or not because it's a little bit pricey. Um, Stitcher, every channel we can find, we're pushing our stuff out there. So search Metacast with a hyphen between the A and the C, and you'll find us in some channel. Okay. Sounds great. Again, thanks for having me here at the glorious Dude Solutions headquarters in beautiful downtown Cary. <laughs> You've listened to our podcast oh, once or twice. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, sir. All right. All right.